We was robbed. Everything from basketball to Berkshire. Today, we bring you an extended Squawk Pod, chock full of Warren Buffett, the Oracle of Omaha in his first live interview in years, and the first major sit-down with Berkshire Hathaway's next leader, Greg Abel. So how do you two work together? He does all the work, and I uh, take the bowels. Becky Quick in Tokyo, where Buffett is raising his stake and showing his support. We have more money in terms of equity securities in Japan than in any other country in the the world. And and all of Europe combined. Warren Buffett and succession. How Greg Abel will manage Berkshire's many, many businesses. We do have very good relationships, but there's no question it's not the same as working for Warren. I've understood that and I've effectively apologized to them many times for for that outcome. (laughs) Plus, the responsibility and reality of owning railroads. To say that there will never be any more derailments is just plain crazy. They care about safety, but Mm -hmm. will we be perfect? The answer is no. No. It just isn't going to happen. You won't be perfect. Would your response be the same as what we've seen from Norfolk Southern? I think they would handle it terribly. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. The first in a special Squawk Pod series, Warren Buffett in Japan, begins right now. Today on the podcast, we kick off a special series with Warren Buffett. The Berkshire Hathaway chairman and CEO is perhaps the world's most famous investor, sitting at the head of a $690 billion conglomerate that owns insurance companies, the brand Geico, sweets like Dairy Queen and Seas Candies, airlines like NetJets and railroads like Burlington Northern, brands like Duracell and Fruit of the Loom. Dozens of companies are assets of Berkshire Hathaway. And Berkshire's investment portfolio also includes large stakes in publicly traded companies like Apple, Bank of America, and Coca-Cola. Mr. Buffett has, unusually for the Nebraska native who has lived in the same Omaha house since the 1950s, traveled to Japan this week. And he has revealed increased investments in the country's five major trading houses, taking a more than 7% stake in each and may invest more. Known as Sogo Sosha, Japan's trading houses are akin to conglomerates and trade in a wide range of products and materials with the import of metals, textiles, food, and other goods. They helped vaunt the Japanese economy to the global stage. Buffett's visit to Japan, his first trip there in a dozen years, is intended to show support for the investment opportunity in the country. Berkshire Hathaway is a famously loose organization. The main holding company, run by Buffett for decades with the assistance of his 99-year-old vice chair, Charlie Munger, it seeks out well-run companies, invests and allows those companies to continue to operate basically independently. Traveling with Buffett to Japan and sitting down today with Squawk Box anchor Becky Quick is the vice chair of Berkshire's non-insurance operations, a man named Greg Abel. Abel is also the 92-year-old Buffett's heir apparent. And this is his first major interview since that future role was made public. At the 2021 Berkshire Annual Shareholders Meeting, a virtual event due to the restrictions of the pandemic, Charlie Munger described the positives of Berkshire's loose approach and revealed that the company already had a plan in place for the future. Our decentralization has caused more benefits than defects, but nobody seems to copy us. Well, but that's absolutely true, but I would say this, decentralization won't work unless you have the right kind of culture accompanying it. Yeah, but we do. Yeah, we do, but but it's dependent on it. and And Greg will keep the culture. With those words, Greg will keep the culture, the cat was sort of out of the bag. 
We'll hear about that moment and Greg Abel's road ahead at the Berkshire that Buffett built in part one of this Squawk Pod series, Warren Buffett in Japan. The interview was conducted live on Squawk Box on Wednesday, April 12th, with anchors Joe Kernan, Andrew Ross Sorkin, and Becky Quick. Times Square at the NASDAQ. Becky, though, is in Tokyo. Becky was on site with both Buffett and Abel. With uh, some big, maybe the biggest guest there could be, Becky. (laughs) Well, Andrew, good morning. It's great to see you. Joe, it's great to see you. And yes, we are here with two very special guests this morning, Warren Buffett and Greg Abel, both of Berkshire Hathaway. And uh, they're they're in Japan, maybe the last place you would have expected to find (laughs) Warren Buffett. He's been here since Monday uh, and and they've been they've been busy. They've been up to a lot. But gentlemen, welcome. Welcome. It's great to see both of you. Great to be here. Thank you. We've had a good time. All right, so let's talk, first of all, I mean, I'll just lay this out for everybody. We have a lot to get to. We're going to talk to them about everything business-related, the economy, the Fed, what's happening with the banking system. But we really want to start with why you're here in Japan, um, why this trip is happening. Warren, you've spoken to a couple of outlets over the last couple of days just about the trading houses that you've purchased. Those are the people you've been talking to. but why did this trip happen and why did those investments happen to begin with? Well, the investments began maybe close to four years ago. And I was uh, looking at company after company, as I do every day. And uh, I just thought these were big companies. They were companies that I generally understood what they did. Some was similar to Berkshire and that they owned lots of different interests. And they were selling at what I thought was a ridiculous price, uh, particularly the price compared to the interest rates prevailing at that time. And and uh, so I started buying all five of the uh, the five largest trading uh, uh, companies. And uh, uh, by my 90th birthday, August uh, 30th of. Uh, uh, 2000, whatever it was. 20, uh, 2020. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, uh, we had bought just somewhat over 5% of each company, and we were buying identical amounts. So we announced at that time that we bought this 5% interest in each of the five. I wrote a letter to the CEOs of each of the companies saying the same thing, that, that, that uh, we would never buy, Berkshire would never buy, uh, more than 9.9% uh, without their consent. That, uh, uh, and that was my word, it was Berkshire Hathaway's word, and, and uh, uh, they all welcomed us in, and their results have exceeded our expectations uh, since we purchased the group. I think, I think their dividends on average have gone up 70% or something like that. And, and we now own 7.4% of each of the companies, and uh, I just, uh, Greg and I together, we, we wanted to come over and, and, and uh, talk to them. And uh, so we got on a NetJets plane and <laughs> plug and, uh, and flew over, and we have had a terrific time meeting each of the five sequentially uh, over the last two days, and it's been fascinating. And we feel even better about what, but we couldn't feel better about the investment. And, and over that time, we've sold periodically yen-denominated bonds. So more or less, not, we don't do it precisely, but we've insulated ourselves from, from 
exchange rate changes. So it's worked out very well so far, but we'll be in these stocks 10, 20 years. I mean, we, 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 we weren't buying the idea they go next week, next month, next year. But we have had revelations about the, each of the companies that, uh, uh, well, Greg and I are just fascinated by it. Right. Was it worth the trip? Oh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it's been a great trip. I mean, think Warren, I mean, they've been exceptional in how they've communicated, both with their performance, but just their approach to business. What did you learn since you've been here? I think the, the thing that stands out very quickly to us is they came to the meetings wanting to build a relationship and strengthen it. So they understand we've invested in their companies. But from the very get-go, when we start the conversations with them, they come each with their own story, and it's around building trust in that relationship with them. Meaning what? That there are other potential deals that you all could do together? We've clearly made it uh, each time we've met with them. We said we very much like the core investment, but to the extent they can identify an incremental opportunity that we could do with any of the five companies, we would uh, very much evaluate it quickly and Warren highlighted the bigger the better and that uh, he'll answer the phone on the first ring. And we'll never run out of money. I mean, <laughs> they can call us anytime and uh, maybe that what they have interests us, it may not, but they will, they'll have an answer, you know, bingo. And uh, if we make a deal, the money will be on the way and, and we look forward to it and, and uh, I'm just astounded at how they really, they're all different and they're all the same at the same time. I mean, we learned about five different individual companies, but we, it, it was not what, exactly what we expected. It was better than we expected yeah. in every respect. People look at this and say, okay, uh, Warren Buffett is putting his stamp of approval on investing in, in Japan. Basically, is that an accurate read? Well, it was, yeah, it was an accurate read, but it was an accurate read a, a couple of years ago too. I mean, it, 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 I was confounded by the fact that we could buy into these companies and, in effect, have an earnings yield of maybe fourteen percent or something like that, with dividends that would grow. They actually grew seventy percent during that time, and uh, and the people were investing their money at a quarter of a percent or nothing. And, uh, and that quarter percent, if they put it out for many years, wasn't going to grow. And the 14% was more likely to grow than not. And uh, if that didn't look like something sensible to me, I, I, you know, I, it, that's as easy as it gets. But it's turned out to be better than I thought it would be. Is, are the opportunities in Japan better than the opportunities in, in the United States right now? Well, it isn't one versus the other. We can, we, can, we can do both, but we do have more money through equities. Now, we, we own a lot of Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola does a lot of business here. Apple does a huge amount of business here. But, so we do it indirectly through American investments, but, but uh, we, we, have, we have more money in terms of, of equity securities in the in Japan uh, than in any other country in the, in, in the world, uh, and, and all of Europe combined. Uh, but, uh, 
We just all Minus we were, the we, were, we, we excluding the U.S. Excluding and that right. that message really resonated with them. They were surprised that Japan, outside of the U.S., would be Berkshire's second largest place for deploying our capital into equities. Right. Yeah. Um, what's maybe the most surprising thing you've learned since you were here, each of you? It's interesting to us. Well, a, you know, we like each other, and 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 we. We learned something about each company that, though I read the reports every quarter, I look at every number, I, you know, I, can have, I, I eat that up. But meeting them in person, and in the United States, nine times out of 10, I, I never meet anybody we, we buy stock in. Uh, you know, but <laughs> this, uh, it's true. I mean, I, I don't go around to companies anymore, and I, and I, I prefer they don't come to us, actually. Uh, <laughs> You know, <laughs> so don't call us. We'll call you. Well, no, it, 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 you know, they send investor relations people, and basically every company comes in and says we're the best buy in the world, and it, it just isn't true. It's ridiculous on its on its face. These people just, I mean, we read the report, or I read the reports at that time, and then Greg got interested right away, and uh, they told us a lot of things that helped us further our understanding of how they thought, where they were going. Uh, so we, we came away smarter than when we came in, and that, that's, that's unusual. Yeah, I would agree, Warren. I mean, they, they had their, each their own story, and they, yet there were similarities, but they each had their approach to business. But the other thing that stood out to me, the more we talked to each of them, there's a lot of similarities to Berkshire. They're very much thinking long term and they've got their portfolios, but they're thinking about how they manage the risks and then how can they incrementally improve their businesses. And that clearly came across from each of the five businesses. Uh, that's not the only thing you all have done since you've been here, too. You were meeting uh, with, with a subsidiary today as well. Um, this is the last time you were in Japan, Warren, was 12 years ago, and it was yep. to come to the, the factory right. from, the, from the representatives who came to visit you today. Yeah, we, we, I, I met just a few hours ago uh, with 10 of the mm -hmm. uh, very important executives of a subsidiary of Berkshire's that we own 100% of, uh, ISCAR, and the accomplishments of that company have been extraordinary. And maybe 15 years ago or thereabouts, uh, it bought an operation here in uh, Tangaloi in, in Japan. And I visited that plant right after the earthquake. And it was amazing to me. Uh, and it was a chance. Uh, I was hoping to get uh, to their home grounds. Uh, Fukushima. But, yeah. And, 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 uh, but because of... Flight, the problem of flying helicopters and everything during uh, uh, the season. Uh, uh, they all joined me a few hours ago, and and it's an incredible. Iskar was one of our pride and joys in terms of acquisitions. It came from getting a one-page letter, one-and-a-quarter-page letter through the mail. And in that one-and-a-quarter-page letter, the person talking to me, who I'd never heard of before, I hadn't heard of this company, he told me more than these 60-page brochures that the bankers wouldn't bring out of a company. He, he told me how much he wanted for the business. He told me what it was like. He told me why it fit into Berkshire. And, uh, and he said he and a couple of other people would come over if I, if I liked what he was suggesting. And they came and we made a deal. And um, 
got there on a Friday and we ran into one kind of tax problem and a fellow named Danny Goldman worked all night and on Saturday morning he said, we worked it out. And I said, well, then you've got whatever it was, $5 billion in, in overall valuation and we made a deal. And then not too many months later, Charlie and I and a couple of the Blumpkins and Sandy Gottesman, we got on a plane and we went over to see whether there was really anything there that we'd written a check for. And it, 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 it's just been an amazing company. It, it, it started with nothing except a fellow named Steph Wertheimer with zero going into competition located in Israel at that time. And now it's spread around the world. But it, and it, it had nothing. In it. And it was making little tools that, that other people made and they already had the customers in the United States. They could buy the tungsten in China. And these guys stopped starting it. But later with Aton Wertheimer and then with Jacob Harbaugh, who runs it now, is an incredible yep. manager. Uh, they've created a business that we are extraordinarily proud of. We love what they've accomplished. And, uh, uh, and, and they don't stop. They just keep going. And... In Japan, you know, they just bought a 51% interest in another company that fits in. Iskar will never stop. Berkshire will be proud of it 20, 50, 100 years from now. And it was interesting, Warren, didn't you think that the one of the managers asked specifically, how did the opportunity to invest in Iskar IMC, how, how did that come to you? And you shared that story, but... Uh, it's great to see their interest and in how they are become part of Berkshire. And, and they highlighted in Japan, for example, IMC started with a small operation here 20-plus uh, years ago. And now we have three businesses that we own 100% of. And we're going to go visit Tungaloy, which has a very significant plant in, in, Japan, in Japan. And, uh, and then they've added two cents. And now we own, just recently, starting April 1, we have 51% of a another joint venture company. So it's once they've been amazing at establishing a base and then continuing to grow it. Greg, let me let me talk to you because I've known you for years, but we've never had you on the program to talk about your role. You're vice chairman at Berkshire Hathaway. You've also been named the heir apparent, which we all found out just about two years ago um, at the annual meeting that was held out in Los Angeles. <laughs> right. um, With our usual deft handling. Everybody <laughs> <laughs> doesn't know, Charlie Munger mentioned it kind of in passing. And uh, so that's how the world find, found out. Um, how has your life changed since that announcement? Yeah, I would say it hasn't changed in a lot of ways because it goes back to what I enjoy and making sure that those priorities stay in place. Um, the responsibilities around the work, uh, again, the relationships I have with a, a Jacob or the other managers uh, really hasn't changed. There's some external forces or interest and, and that's naturally going to come. But I would say, you know, the beauty of it and, and it's being part of Berkshire allows me to just continue to do what I really enjoy. So I get the opportunity to work with Warren and Charlie and others, but at the same time work with all our great managers every day. And, and that hasn't changed. The external interest that comes with that, what does that mean? A lot more people call you, a lot more people want to get on your, on your call sheet. They want to be able to spend some time with you. Yeah, that naturally comes. There's a uh, a lot of those calls, there's people in the community who maybe didn't even know, you know that, I, that I work for Berkshire. So you get some interesting comments. I, 
I'll get questions from my 11-year-old's uh, best friends as to what that means, just like the question you asked. And I remind them we're still doing all the same things we did five years ago together, and, and that, that will be the approach to, to, to the way forward. So how do you two work together? What He does all the work, and I uh, take the bows. <laughs> it's exactly what I wanted, and he knows more about the, the individuals, the business. He's 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 seen them all, and and you know they haven't seen me at the BNSF railroad for uh, ten, twelve years, or something like that. And and uh, you know Katie Farmer, I mean she, yeah, yeah. You know, Greg is there, and he understands each of our businesses. I mean, it, it, to have the grasp of what you know, whether it's granimals or the railroad <laughs> operation, or you name it, it just goes all over. And and Greg gets it the same way I get it. But the difference is that that he likes to work, and I like to sit around. And I like <laughs> I like to allocate capital, and and he likes to. He thinks the same way on it as I do, but he also he, he likes to meet everybody that's running the business, and he understands them. And 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 he's he's probably tougher than I would be in terms of getting things done and everything. And, I, and so it's, it's improved. It's already improved dramatically. <laughs> the management of Berkshire and. Uh, we think alike on acquisitions. We think alike on capital allocation. I mean, he's uh, he's a big improvement on me, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's an example? If he's tougher on you than things, what's one example where he's been tougher than you would have been? Either of you can answer that. Well, I, I think, uh, <laughs> one, Warren, Warren grew up with all the businesses. He acquired them or they're already there. So when I came in, I had the opportunity to start from scratch. I had to learn the businesses and, and their industries, which means there's going to be an active dialogue with the managers, and that helps immediately that I was able to at least have that dialogue. And then uh, associated with that, because I'm learning the business, I have the opportunity to, to discuss their businesses and expectations around it. And I would say just even communicating around how they allocate their capital, how they're using it, and I wouldn't say giving them absolute uh, requirements, but providing direction in those areas has been beneficial, I think, both for Berkshire, but for them. They, they like that type of uh, input. Our, our managers like autonomy, but they also get lonesome. Yeah. <laughs> I give them the autonomy, and, but Greg, Greg gives them both, and he, he gets somewhat more discipline out of the managers with our hands-off type operation. He, he, he gets more discipline than, than, than I would get. Is it good cop, good cop, bad cop? No, 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 no not at all. No, no. Is it nice parent, it, mean parent? No, no, <laughs> no. We really get. It's just a, like I said, a bit of a different approach. Yeah. But um, what they value is a little more of that one-on-one. They don't want to just be out there by themselves. But they so they appreciate that. But they want the autonomy that they've always had. Yeah. You know, one of the questions that people have always had is when Warren is no longer running things, what what would that mean? Would all of this collection of managers, who you have some great managers, a lot of right. different companies, how do you keep them all interested? Because for so long, it's been amazing to say, I work uh, with Berkshire Hathaway and for Warren Buffett. Right. How, how do you build that same sort of rapport with them? 
Yeah, I think there's a few things. So first, this has helped a lot when you have this type of transition, and I've had the opportunity to work with them. So I think we do have very good relationships, but there's no question it's not the same as working for Warren. I've understood that, and I've, I've effectively apologized to them many times for, the, for that outcome. <laughs> but they also realize that they still have an opportunity to go run their businesses, what they love and what they wake up to do every day. And that's what we're still providing both today under the, uh, the current uh, situation, and we'll provide the same opportunity long term. So even though it was kind of an accident that the world found out, more than that, actually. You got it out of him, I think, actually. Uh, we got it out of Charlie. Oh, you got it out of Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie and I are not the most careful in our wording at times. But would you say it's almost a good thing that Greg has this opportunity? Uh, of course. I mean, and, 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 and we are so damn lucky. I mean, it isn't like I had 10 people I could choose from. There may be 10 people out there, but I don't, I know Greg and I, and, and, and but there are 10 Gregs out there, that I can guarantee you. And, and, and you know, the problem for our board of directors is, is the day I'm not around and Greg's running it, I am not giving him some envelope that tells him what to do next. I mean, but on the other hand, Greg is not looking to retire at 65 or 70 or 75, and we don't want anybody at Berkshire that's thinking about, you know, what their package will be when they get to be 65. We've got a unique organization which now has tremendous resources and uh, we've got and, and nobody really can copy our style I mean in the end I mean where else can they get an answer in five minutes you know whether we're interested in the business and and uh, uh, where they get the kind of freedom now they gotta they gotta follow the law in every case and 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 they can be more lax with me than they couldn't with, with with Greg, 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 Greg just you know says if if there's no need for them any of our subsidiaries to keep any cash around, we're the best bank in the world. We got a hundred billion dollars <laughs> plus, and, and uh, uh, Greg's better at enforcing that sort of thing than I am. <laughs> Is there? And they smile when he gets through enforcing it. That's the other <laughs> thing. I mean, he he can deliver tough instru instructions. At least compared to me, and 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 when they go away, they feel good about themselves. Greg, recently there was news made that you had put even more money into Berkshire. Um, for a while, you didn't have a lot of money in Berkshire. You had a lot of it in Mid American Energy, and then Berkshire Hathaway Energy Correct. from yep. the ownership structure. But recently, you increased your stake to even above a hundred million dollars of stock right. that you have purchased with your own money. Correct. Um, Why'd you do that, and will there be more put into it? Yeah, obviously, when I monetized the position in uh, Berkshire Hathaway Energy, that provided an opportunity to um, purchase shares in Berkshire. Mm -hmm. And had I done that sooner, I would own share, the shares in Berkshire earlier. So that was always the intention. And and yes, I always will continue to invest in Berkshire. I strongly believe in in Berkshire. I believe in uh, what's been created. And I strongly believe equally that we have a, a great path forward. Dougie, how many managers in the United States have put $100 million of their own money, not getting a share at a discount, not getting any special deal on it or anything of the sort, or having an incentive comp expert come around and do as instructed, which is to arrange it so that the 
the CEO gets the upside but doesn't share the downside. You know, I, I, I could hardly think of a case where anybody's put anything like $100 million of their own money in and getting the exact same deal as the shareholder gets. If, if they make money, they make money. If they lose money, they lose money. And that's just the way we play it at Berkshire. Mm -hmm. You don't find it anyplace else. Did you feel any pressure to do that, or this was always the plan? This no, was... I, I felt zero pressure. I mean, I, I, I very much believe in what Warren said, that our, our culture is one that's very aligned with our shareholders. And I've observed both Warren and Charlie and, and our, our other board members, but specifically those two, that they've had their capital deployed there. But it, it's the belief that they're going to align with the shareholders, and that's who are their partners, and that's who they're going to take care of forever. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was a pretty simple decision to when the capital freed up to acquire Berkshire shares. Mm. So you've had the relationship for, for years now with the non-insurance operation right. of overseeing all of that. Uh, Ajit Jain is responsible for overseeing the insurance operations. Right. How, how do you and Ajit work together? Yeah, it's been a great relationship. And it's, that's been a big benefit of, again, once we became vice chairs, uh, yes, we would talk and we'd see each other, but it's created that opportunity to have an active dialogue. So we regularly check in with each other. If there's ever an issue that'll cross the boundaries of, let's say, either it's a broader Berkshire matter, uh, we'll both pick up the phone, whoever it it's initiates with, and check in with the other to see as we move down this path. Are we each comfortable with it and seek input? So it's been a it's been a great relationship and a, a true pleasure and honor to have the opportunity to work that much with Ajit. And Ajit never wanted to run Berkshire. No. Uh, Greg didn't want to, but he's perfectly willing to do. Uh, but it, it wasn't what uh, Ajit loves is running you know, a one of a kind insurance company in the world, which he built himself. And <laughs> uh, and he has a lot of fun. Uh, running insurance, and he doesn't really give a damn about grantables. You know, <laughs> get right down to it. <laughs> uh, 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 so uh, you don't, you didn't have two guys competing for the same job or anything like that. So uh, it's it's job it's 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 a G's job to develop a lot of money for us at a, at no cost or less, and uh, and and then he hands it to me and he says, "You do something with the board," and and Greg. In fact, all, any non-insurance operation, you know, will fall under. When we bought Allegheny, Allegheny was an insurance company, insurance. but it had eight, eight other right. subsidiary operations. The eight subsidiary operations, which are not necessarily small. I mean, there's hundreds of millions of dollars of right. pre-tax earnings there. Greg gets them. Uh, Joe continues to run the uh, insurance uh Operation and the CEO of but he's, he's right, worked, right. but yeah. he works through. He he works with the G now. Joe and I have a direct relationship too, but uh, you know it, it it just all works. Uh, I think Joe has a question from back in studio. Joe, really? Did they t uh, did they tell you that? I have a lot of uh, a lot of questions, but I think. Uh, we're probably oh, going to talk. I thought I, maybe I heard it wrong. I thought they said Joe had a question. They I, told me that I, I have a lot of break, So I, I may have questions about life uh, in general, but I do uh, have a lot of questions. That I love that we've we've never actually spoken to Greg before. That was uh, uh, that was something. But I, I think we should take a break though, and and we'll come back. 
We'll pick up more after this break. Warren Buffett and Greg Abel on the next generation of rising star CEOs, some right in the Berkshire ranks, like Katie Farmer running the BNSF Railroad and Adam Wright, the new CEO of the Pilot Flying J truck stop chain started by the Haslam family of Tennessee. And now Berkshire is a majority owner there. We'll talk leadership, safety, and much more. Railroading is a tough business, and it's a lot better than it used to be. It'll be better 10 years from now and 20 years from now, and they'll never let up at BNSF, I can promise you that. When Squawk Pod is back. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Our conversation continues with Berkshire Hathaway Chairman and CEO Warren Buffett and Vice Chair and Buffett's heir apparent, Greg Abel. Let's get back to uh, Becky Quick in Tokyo. And I see I didn't want to waste any time because we got Greg and, you know, we, and I was going to just ask Warren how far he took Creighton uh, because it was really pretty amazing. And then I was going to ask Greg, <laughs> is he a basketball fan? And is he will we continue to do that? Uh, you know, you win money if you get all of them right, which which Warren, that's the greatest thing you've ever come up with. Did you is there anyone in the world who could have gotten even past the second round uh, this time. There's, no, your money is safe. You will never pay off that money that you offer for someone to get everything right. No, we offered, a, we had a winner for $100,000. And if Creighton had, had won that last game, which they should have actually, but, uh, and I'm not blaming Creighton, I'm blaming the referee. The, the woman that won, would have gotten $200,000 instead of $100,000, and she would have come to Omaha and thanked the great players personally. <laughs> but next year, we're going to make it even more interesting. I, I'm redesigning the contest for next year because I want okay. somebody to win the million. And, oh, of course, one time somebody came within a half a game. And, and by the way, don't you insure, Don't you offer ins- have that insured, or are you paying that out yourselves? <laughs> It's, it's Berkshire Hathaway. Oh, self-insured. Self-insured. Okay. <laughs> yeah. self-insured. And, and I am a basketball fan, Joe. <laughs> and it'll continue for forever. <laughs> Excellent. The parody is unbelievable. And that's what gets me is that literally one weird bounce on the rim changes the end. It could be anybody that could have been oh, in the final four. Oh, and it's just so great. It could be it's, anybody. Yeah, it's so great. And, and the parody is amazing. I mean, Creighton. I thought X, X beat Creighton, didn't they, Warren? I mean, I, I, didn't, I don't know. Uh, but, but let's move. As I said, uh, I, I don't want to waste any time on this, and I just did. So take it away. <laughs> no, this is- as, as, as somebody said a long time ago, I think it's Leo, Leo Roche or something, we was robbed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard you blame the referees before. Well, all I know is that uh, nobody had been calling fouls like that <laughs> throughout the game, and, and, uh, and um, the guy missed the shot, but, uh, but he made one of the two free throws, and, and uh, I don't have anything against San Diego State, but <laughs> uh, but uh, if, the, if, the, if that referee wants to have a seat at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, the hell with him. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, let me take it back away before you get yourself in more trouble with yeah, that. Well, yeah, well, we can go a long way into yeah, um, having that happen. Yeah. Right. All right, so we're in Japan, but there's still a lot of things that are happening while you guys have been here. One of the pieces of news that came out was about a new CEO at Pilot, which is the Pilot Flying J franchise or business that you all 
recently upped your positioning. You used to be a minority holder. You just increased your position to just over 80%. And as a result, you've made some changes there, right. including that new CEO. You guys want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So uh, really pleased with the acquisition or taking our, our interest up to 80% of Pilot Flying J. They have a great set of assets and a great management team in place. The one area we did want to make a change was in the, with the uh, was with the CEO, and the, really the focus was to bring in someone who's been tenured with Berkshire and would have a long term focus. Someone who's going to be there for ten to twenty years, or however long, uh, long, uh, long, long, longer. Yeah, <laughs> and that was really the the focus. So we were able to uh, Adam Wright, who is a twenty year energy uh, veteran with with Berkshire Hathaway Energy and really started his career with us back in 1996 and has gone through uh, uh, many different roles in our organization in the energy side, including being CEO of Mid-American Energy, one of our largest utility subsidiaries. So uh, when this opportunity presented itself, we approached Adam to move to Knoxville and take on the role. And we're just thrilled to, thrilled to have him back. At, he'd he'd uh, moved on to... Uh, a company for the past two years. We're just thrilled to have him back in the family, and I know he's thrilled, and he'll be a great leader for Pilot Flying J. And the, and the Haslam family is on board with this. They still own about twenty percent. Absolutely, they've been extremely supportive of yeah. the of the transition. Yeah, and Adam is now heading, or he will be the CEO, but of a company that last year did about seventy billion of revenue. Uh, <laughs> that is a big number, and. Uh, now, diesel was higher last year. And I was going to say, wasn't it 45 so billion? So it, it might be normally 45 billion, yeah. but yeah. it is a big, big operation. And Adam wasn't because he was born in Omaha, Nebraska, but he was born in Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> he went to the same public high school as my wife went to, and three of my grandchildren went to North High. That's yeah. been around 100 plus years. He had a mother that, that supported him. Uh, and going to the UNO where he set the, the rushing record uh, uh, for his three years. Uh, I think he gained 3,600 3, yards and never mm -hmm. be broken because they gave, gave up football. He, he is a <laughs> remarkable, remarkable uh, manager. And when he ran Mid-American, uh, uh, it was earning $700 million a year. Nobody ever heard of him. They, right. You know, there's all these people running businesses in this world that don't make $700 million a year after tax. Mm -hmm. And now he'll be moving into an even bigger position. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and by the way, he's black. And uh, uh, how, many, how many black men or women are running operations that will do 40 or $50 billion a year? And, uh, and we've got... Katie Farmer running the largest railroad in the United States, and no woman was ever thought. I, I come from the town, a railroad town, and it was unthinkable. And uh, both of those people, Katie and now, now Adam, they've got the job because they deserve, they've earned it. They, you know, Katie was at the railroad for 30 plus years, and she's got railroading in her blood, and Adam is just a terrific executive and you know he he worked he had three jobs when he was at UNO and, and uh, uh, University of Nebraska Omaha University of Nebraska Omaha and, 
Uh, it's an Horatio Alger story, and and to have it be in your own backyard, it's, and I feel terrific <laughs> about it. But I did not engineer it. I mean, no. he got there, and, and no. then I learned who Adam was after he was there. Yeah, when he was CEO of Mid American. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and he developed through our company. There are some great folks that have helped mentor him, but he's he's an exceptional leader. Katie's an exceptional leader. We're we're, we're when I think of uh, uh, the talent there, it's just amazing, and and their leadership skills are remarkable. But think, enough, think of the publicity that people get that on a business that makes seven hundred million dollars a year, or in the case of Katie, six billion dollars a year. Yeah, and they they work through Berkshire, with Berkshire's resources, yeah. with our support, but they are talent, and, and they get it because they're, they're the person for the job. And, and uh, Not you know, because I, some DEI uh, shareholder <laughs> proposal came from? No, uh, nothing. I mean, it, 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 we just, and I, you know, I, I feel good about Berkshire. When I, when I look at a guy like Adam who went to North High and, uh, you know, Ten years, nineteen twenty, I think, it started, and 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 here he is, public schools, you know, and and he's running a lot of places. He didn't go to Harvard Business School, and, and you know, he he just earned the job, as did Katie, who went to TCU, and and mm -hmm. and uh, Texas Christian, uh, yeah, Correct. Texas Christian, yeah. and 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 uh, uh, they had a but BNSF. Happened to be particularly interested right there, you know, in the same same area, and and she's, she, I think she started working for us when she was still in college. I mean, yeah. that, uh, no, so I love the stories of these people, and they don't get a lot of publicity like other people may get, but boy, do they ever do the job. Yeah, both Katie and Adam started had internships with us. Yeah. I mean, they came in as interns yeah. and now are CEOs of of two important businesses for Berkshire. So. Couldn't be more proud of them. While we're talking about the railroad, let, let's take this a little more broadly. Um, Greg, you've been working with the railroad for a long time and seeing what's been happening there. There have been a lot of questions raised nationally since the derailment of Norfolk Southern in Ohio. Right. A couple other derailments that have happened since, but that one right. particularly because of the chemicals involved. There's been a debate that's been taking place around the country. Is, is this a Norfolk Southern pro problem or is it a broader railroad issue? What would you say to that? Yeah, I would say um, it's, a, it's a railroad problem now, specifically now. I mean, we have to take on the challenges that we've had some significant events. And our team at uh, BNSF is, they take, uh, I know within the moments of knowing of that accident, they were, one, they're trying to understand it, but also lessons learned. And we recognize there'll be certain actions that come from the federal government out of different agencies. And, and we'll be very respectful of that in um, sharing our experiences and figuring out, you know, the goal is to have a safe railway, both for the consumers and the communities we operate in, and, and, and ultimately also, so, also for our employees. So there's no question. There's uh, lessons to be learned for the industry as a whole, and there's room for improvement. On a, on a, just a business basis, we would rather not handle hazardous materials. Right. We are a common carrier. We're required to carry, you know, whether it's chlorine or you name right. it. And and uh, uh, you know, we've got to do our damnedest to do that as safely as possible. But they're literally, we're something like close to a thousand. There are a thousand. I mean, you, you are running. Here. You are running huge 
trains, 120 uh, cars or maybe, and, and, yeah. and, and, and it's big, heavy stuff. Uh, and they go around curves, and they go in 100-degree weather, and they go in zero-degree weather. And, and the record of the industry as getting as becoming more safe is dramatic mm -hmm. over time. But uh, every day, you have to think about making it safer. I mean, safer. Yep. Katie would tell you that it's, it's unacceptable to have anybody die, and, 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 and for example. And, but... People walk along railroad tracks. Uh, some people commit suicide on railroad tracks. And just imagine how traumatic that would be for an engineer. He can't stop the train. And he's blowing his whistle like crazy. Right. Somebody decides that that's the way they want to go. It, it, railroading is a tough business. And it's a lot better than it used to be. It'll be better 10 years from now and 20 years from now, and they'll never let up at BNSF, I can promise you that. No. Some of the blame, though, has been put on precision railroading and um, on the idea that Norfolk Southern in particular, if you listen to some of the railmen there who have issued complaints about it, saying that uh, I was reading one guy's testimony who said that in the 20 years he's been there, and again, this is Norfolk Southern, mm -hmm. not Burlington Northern, but precision railroading is something almost all the railroads have taken a look at. Um, saying that in the 20 years he'd been there, the safety times had gotten shorter and shorter in terms of allowing inspection for every car that went through, going from two and a half minutes to two minutes to a minute and a half and, and even less. Um, is, is that a concern? Is that something that happens at BNSF as well? I would say that, listen, everybody's trying to become more efficient and, and all the time as we operate the railroad, railroads. But what, if you look at the safety records, for example, equipment failures, mm -hmm. definitely at BNSF, we see improvement year after year in that area. And there may be blips due to a very specific event. But the team as a whole, they start with prevention. How, how do we avoid the problem right at the front end? And then you move to detection and you're saying, okay, if we do have a problem, how do we you know, identify it early and address it? And then you hope you're not responding, but you create a culture that you're gonna constantly focus on the three of those. And that will create a safer work environment, both for our employees and for the equipment they're moving and for the communities we operate in. But it is rotating equipment. You know, Things do go wrong. And that's why that prevention and detection becomes so important. And I, I think we have a, a very strong culture around that in, in BNSF. The quarterly report I get every, ever since we bought it, but continuing under Katie, it begins with safety. Right. And, and it gets around to the operating ratio, net income, all that. But it starts with safety. And, uh, you know, it is, it's an outdoor exercise. I mean, yeah. we, we, we've had all you know, you deal with hundreds and hundreds of millions of ton miles moving. I mean, it, it's, uh, you have problems if you have trucks, you have problems if you have airplanes, you have problems if you have barges, you have problems if you have railroad. It's gotten safer dramatically yeah. over the years. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Get all those risks covered. <laughs> yeah. And it, uh, it's amazing. We are carrying, now, there was much more passenger traffic in the past, but we are carrying more ton loads of freight in the railroad industry than right after World War II, and we've got one-tenth as many people that are needed to do it, and they're doing it more safely by dramatic measures than, yeah. than, than existed at that time. But, but you know, 
every day. Uh, they're worried about it. And, and to say that there will never be any more derailments yeah. is just plain crazy. And, and uh, uh, I would rather not be carrying what they call hazmat hazardous materials, but we, they are going to be transported in this country and, and the shippers uh, decide what is the best method of getting their product to market. And it's, uh, if they're on BNSF or for a handoff from Southern or the railroad, I mean, we, we carry them. And uh, I can tell you that Katie Farmer and her predecessor CEOs, they care about safety, but will we be perfect? The answer is no, no. it just isn't gonna happen. You won't be perfect. Would your response be the same as what we've seen from Norfolk Southern? I think they would handle it terribly. Yeah, and you know, we 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 connect with them in all kinds of ways. Right. I mean, they're, they're, you know, it, it, the, the amount of, that we hand off or get received, and it, it comes to us, and it's it's uh, it's the way the American system is developed in in, in railroading. But but uh, yeah, I I, I don't. I don't know the person personally, the CEO yeah. or anything, but but they were tone deaf, and uh, I don't think they're necessarily bad people or anything of the sort. But it, it just it, their response should have not been the, the same way. I mean, it, it, uh, uh, it we had we had a derailment not long thereafter. Right. And, you know, I mean, it was either going to be Katie or it was going to be Greg that right. that, that, that got a, immediately got on a plane and flew there, I mean, right. and, and, you know, looking back now, I'm second guessing somebody, I, you know, I've, I've made so many mistakes in my life, but, but <laughs> they, looking with the hindsight, CEO of Norfolk Southern, I mean, if, it, if he'd gotten there and drank the first water and, you know, said we're going to do whatever it takes to, to restore your life as it was before this happened and everything, uh, you know, it's, that's, that's the way to behave. But I've done a lot of things that I'd rather have do-overs on, too. So I don't, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't <laughs> want to claim my responses have been perfect in every instance either. But I sure hope we don't do that ever at BNSF. I'll put it that way. Right. Yeah. All right. So, Greg, let's talk about where you spend the most of your time. Obviously, BNS, BNSF and Berkshire Energy right. are two huge areas. How much of your time do you spend with Berkshire Hathaway Energy? Yeah, it would be similar to what I spend with BNSF, except I still know have a lot of strong relationships in that industry. So a few years ago, we acquired some assets from Dominion Energy, uh, a great set of uh, gas transmission assets in the northeast part of the United States. Um, that's a strong relationship I had with the prior CEO, Tom Farrell. And, and so I've maintained those relationships. So Inevitably, I'll spend more time on energy, say, than a, a BNSF. On, on the general matters, it's equal. But there are other opportunities that I'm just know within the energy space, and that's where I came from. So I, in the, inevitably, I spend more time there. But, um, and then I try to cross our businesses. I mean, our top 12 businesses account for 85 86% of our underlying cash flows in the group. So it's pretty easy to know where you should be spending your time. At the same time, as Warren touched on earlier, I do know all the businesses and, and 
as best I can and the CEOs and, and a large part their management team. So it's it's not that the rest are ignored, but they're, the time is prioritized across those t- top 12 businesses. Greg, Greg has lived in Omaha in the past, but he yeah. lives in Des Moines now and he, he, and he was in England part of the, I mean, he's, he's gone wherever it was needed in terms of the predecessor company. But he has found apparently some little area in Des Moines well, there's 48 hours in the day. And, 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 I, and that's the only explanation for how he gets everything done that he does. Yeah. Maybe it will only be a couple of blocks, but I want to find that place. <laughs> well, we have a lot of great members in our team, as we all know, that allow a lot to happen. But, yeah. And, I, and that was that's a good point. I mean, you sort of, in the end, I go where uh, someone's uh, either requesting some input or a discussion and, of course, I know, like I said, the large ones, but if someone else calls and says, hey, we need to discuss something, I'm going to talk to them that day or very, very quickly. A big part of Warren's job is also capital allocation. Right. And right now, Warren and Charlie and Todd Combs and Ted Weschler are all responsible for allocating capital. Yeah. Obviously, you've done a lot of deals in your day, too. Right. Um, what, kind of, what kind of relationship do you have with Todd and Ted? Do you talk to them about capital allocation at all? Is there... Well, I pay attention to what they're doing, but in the end, I think it's much like Warren does. They run their own portfolio. So I watch it with interest, and I don't really even know who's doing what amongst it, but we all have a pretty good idea of what Warren is doing versus the two of them. So I'll do it to mainly observe and and pay attention and learn from what they're doing. And and I may ask them, that was really interesting, what what triggered your interest. But that's the extent of it. And and outside of... uh, uh, having relationships with both of them, which are important, that's their portfolio, and that's the way it'll always be, and they'll they'll manage it accordingly. Do you and, like capital and, allocation? Do oh, I, he's, yeah. he's terrific at it. But yeah. my job, the job of any CEO right. in Berkshire, is the job of capital, capital allocation is their job, right. and the the chief risk officer right. is their saying. job, yeah. Yeah. and you can't get rid of it. I mean. Uh, the, if you, if you aren't willing to assume that responsibility, uh, forget it. You shouldn't have the job. Now, Craig's got all kinds of ideas and everything, but it's my responsibility in the end. It, it, it isn't, I just, and it'll be his responsibility when he runs it. I mean, it, it just, the idea that you have this committee and a risk committee and all that kind of thing, that, I think that's kind of crazy myself, but, but there are rules, for example, and in banking, that you have a, a risk committee, and the CEO is the one that, that is going to get you in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. keep you out of it. Right, keep you out of it. It's up to them to identify the risk and and, and, and own it. And, and the, we've got that culture. And I talked about that responsibility to the shareholder, but that come, the, with that comes being the chief risk, risk officer, allocating the capital properly and prudently, and then incrementally, we have our business operations, but our managers know what to do, but keeping them within the, the, our level of comfort. And, and with that, what we really want to create is a company that's an asset to America and never a liability. Do you two have discussions about risk management? Just because, Warren, you've been somebody who's been great at this over years and yeah. years and decades of kind of seeing risks far off on the horizon before anybody else did. Do you guys talk about stuff like this? It's my job to think about risks that nobody else thinks about. 
I mean, it's very easy to read a little thing in the front of the 10K of every country about the risk. It's the ones that aren't in there that one way or another are going to bite you. And I've got 99 and a fraction percent of my net worth in Berkshire, but I've got all my relatives in. I've got everybody. And if I thought that I wasn't going to be able to do a decent job of managing the risk, a better than decent job, I'd be crazy to take on that responsibility. Why in the world do you know, I've got all the money I need, so why should I do something that could <laughs> destroy me uh, internally and my sisters and my cousins and all these people uh, uh, unless I felt that I could do the job of managing risk uh, really as well as anybody can do. And, and it, it is a complex organization, and I worry about things nobody else worries about. Uh, but I can't solve them all. I can't. I can't solve it if the pandemic starts. But, but, I, anything that can be solved, I, I should be. I should be thinking about that. And Charlie thinks about it too. I mean, we've mm-hmm. talked about it forever. Well, we're going to talk a lot more about this in the next couple of hours. Um, what you see out there as the risks. But Greg, we want to thank you very much for this time and for sitting down with us. We really appreciate it. It's been great. So thank you very much. And that's part one of our special Squawk Pod series, Warren Buffett in Japan, the Berkshire Hathaway chairman and CEO's first substantive interview in several years, and it's with our Becky Quick. Follow Squawk Pod, click that follow button on whatever platform you're listening to now, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, follow, and get all three parts of the full interview with Warren Buffett right in your feed. Coming up in part two, Buffett's first comments about the financial sector instability this spring of 2023 and the stunning collapse of Silicon Valley and signature banks. Why he's still optimistic. Nobody is going to uh, lose money on on a deposit in the U.S. bank. It's not going to happen. And that message has gotten mixed up. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in on television weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern, stream daily on Peacock, or listen to Squawk Pod anytime. Stay tuned.